It is the dead middle of 2022 right now. There is the equal amount of time for the first half of the year and an equal amount of time for the second half of the year when the June 15th Digital Bytes newsletter went out. I mean, stuck in the middle with you, we're going to go find that song. It is Johnny <laughs> Fry and James Tiley, and we have hit the middle of life. No, nah, James, we haven't hit the middle. The middle is the summer equinox, which is, what, the 21st of June? So you've, you've, you've been, you've, a bit of premature is going on, I think. Wait, mathematically, isn't that wrong? Well, it doesn't matter that the, the um, what are they called? The Druids, they've been around for thousands of years. And they would say that the summer solstice, that's the, the time of the year when it's the, the sun is in the highest in the sky. It's the longest day. That's the 22nd of the year, isn't it? Summer solstice. That's his next, next digital bite. It's not this one. You've, you've, you've come too soon. I never come too soon. The article for next week will have to make it the longest show then for the year. <laughs> <laughs> because if that if that's what you're saying, but mathematically I don't buy it. See, with blockchain okay. and crypto, it's all about math. It's all about math. And, you, and well, you're January first, June fifteenth. How is that not the middle? Well, okay, I, I'll I will I, I agree mathematically, but I'm talking about I'm talking about the sun, the sun and the moon, and <laughs> and that's what crypto is about. Look, if you're owning Terra, you are certainly not going to the moon at the moment, are you? But it sounds it's like we're doing Terra math, right? <laughs> We, you it's got Luna, you got what is it? Luna UST is the equinox, the <laughs> longest collapse to ever go on. Almost oh, cost there, you see that? And then, yeah. and then well, you the got equinox, well, I just better correct you because I will get people contact said, Johnny, you don't know your equinox from your equinox or whatever they are. It's choose the 21st of June, it's not the 22nd. So, 20, 21st is the, is the equinox, which is the longest day in the northern hemisphere. Um, so yeah, but. Terra, what went on there, James? I mean, I got some tinfoil hat ideas, and I've got some sourceful, resourceful inside information. But and it's so hard to validate and vindicate, right? But there were horrible things on Twitter saying the guy had been taking, you know, millions out for for weeks before it all went wrong. Um, Eighty you know, million dollars at... a month. Yeah, but Could... if you look at Terra. You know, in, in the article, we, you know, we point out that back in uh, only the 8th of May, it was 18.7 billion. And when we published Digital Bytes this week on the 15th of June, uh, middle of the year, according to some, um, it was just under 300 million. So not only has been a massive collapse, but who on earth has left their money in there? Um, there's still $300 million worth of assets in, uh, in Terra, or allegedly that's what the valuation is. So here, here's the problem with, I, I, I have to keep my, I, I, I could go full. If this was one of my shows on Cyber FM, you might hear <laughs> much more unfiltered opinion. So I'm going to do my best here. Certain people should not be getting into this industry. And we should not be throwing our money at certain people in this industry. Absolutely. So if you have three years of experience in auto mechanics i'm going to bring my bmw to somebody with 20 years experience we knew people like you and i knew that an algorithmically backed stable coin was like jumbo shrimp correct okay the minute i read that and i went okay mental note i'll never buy that good luck to you 
the problem is through the use of social media, his name is Do Quan, and I keep calling him Don't Quan. Don't Quan me, bro. Don't Quan has two million followers on Twitter, regardless of Elon Musk saying whether or not they're real, because that's Twitter itself. But he's got, for all intents and purposes, or as Don't Quan might say, all intensive purposes. There goes the ratings. He has two million followers. That means that two million people, in theory, threw their money at this guy, trusted him. I have read about very horrible things like, you know, taking of one's life. And, and I mean, serious, it doesn't get any worse. Look, I grew up on Wall Street. I've watched people make threats that you should never experience in life. And these people have done it over Luna. This guy, how I would respect him if he came out and he said, oh, my goodness, everybody, look, we have to stop. We need to stop. We need to assess this situation and fix everything. This guy did not do that. He told everybody, buy the effing dip. He took his social media reach of 2 million people and said, buy the dip. Because don't worry, we're going to release Luna 2.0. And they did it. Right? This is a different audience. The audience that listens to this show might not necessarily be aware of the existence of that other audience that we cater to. And that other audience is the argument. I'm the guy who's, I'm the guy, and I'm going to give you the microphone in a minute. I'm the guy that says we don't need as much regulation in crypto and blockchain technology. That's why Satoshi created it, right? It's an independent entity that can operate on its own. You shouldn't be able to differentiate a human from a smart contract in the future. I'm all for that. That's why I'm in this business. But when this happens, when when somebody creates technology that is built to fail from the beginning and then convinces, I'm going to say, the typical middle class, to and, and, and there are Bitcoin maximalists that shall not be named that are guilty of the same thing, telling people to mortgage their homes and cash out their 401ks for Bitcoin. Listen, don't do that. You never, ever do that. I wouldn't mortgage my house for Berkshire A. Nonetheless, Berkshire B. You don't do that. This man used the power of social media and 2 million followers to say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Buy the dip. He rolled out 2.0 and companies that we won't name that we would all dream of working for said, oh, hell no, and then took down 2.0. He deserved it, unfortunately. He deserved it for what he did, and I believe that he was, I do believe personally, he was taking out $80 million a month. You can almost see it if you look real close. The, the so amount interesting, of- James, because, because um, Sam Bankman-Fried, who is the C of FTX, you know, very, very successful um, business in this space, um, he, he was quoted as saying terror was a case of mass enthusiasm and excitement with bad marketing. So obviously things, um, you know, people have their concerns. Over. But but what I'd just like to move on from, because 
what we the article was really saying okay so what lessons can we learn from this yeah you got me all uh, you got me all upset i know i know but that's like that's okay because it's that's good to get it off your chest but i think it's i think what we need to look at and um when you look at the the table we put together and we look at at what were the top five stable coins and there's there's two coins i'd like to just focus in on um one is tether which is now everyone accepts is not a hundred percent backed by us dollars Yet, right. you know, just over a month ago, it was 83 billion. It suffered a 13 billion withdrawal and it's now down to 70 billion. As people were worried, well, how safe is Tether? And, you know, could Tether be next? But meanwhile, um, US dollar coin, um, you know, which has got more of an involvement with um, our friends at Goldman. At the beginning of May, it was 48 billion. And by um, 15th of June, it had climbed up to just under 55 billion. So clearly there's still a lot of interest of people wanting to hold their money in these stable coins. But as we've spoken before, we shouldn't call them stable coins. We should call them pegged. You know, these coins, typically the ones we're talking about here, they're pegged to the U.S. dollar. And as, as much as I love, you know, the U.S. and Uncle Sam and my sister lives in, Cali- in California. Um, so I'm a big fan of the American. I don't class U.S. assets as stable. Because I earn most right. of my money and I spend my money in sterling. And therefore, you know, we should be calling these things stable coins no longer and, and give them their correct over, which they're pegged to, in this case, pegged to the US dollar. But, but one of the lessons, and the thing I really want to get across more than anything, is one of the big lessons that um, I think we've learned from all this is actually the robustness of the, the crypto market. You know, because to be fair, you know, Terra, we've seen, you know, 18 billion effectively vaporized um, and taken out. We've seen, um, you know, Tether, they've had to suddenly find 13 billion from, from, from arguably their reserves. How many banks within a matter of a few days, stroke weeks could meet those sorts of redemptions? And I think that although the volatility that we've seen in the markets as people are going from risk on to risk off, We've seen equity markets falling. We're seeing interest rates rising um, and the crypto market has taken a a very big hit. I think that it kind of needed that. It needed to blow the froth off. And actually, I think stable coins have come out well. And I think that there is increasing demand and will be increasing demand. We've always seen it in the UK. We've seen it in Japan. We've seen it in the US. And we're going to see the need for stronger regulation around peg stroke stable coins because as you say middle class you know lady gentlemen in whether it be in asia or europe or america they had put their faith with this guy and it would appear that you know that was misplaced and 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 some people have lost a lot of money which is obviously not a good thing and yeah so as far as the lesson learned as you know we used to say i agree with you we shouldn't call them stable coins they can be pegged got pegged to the sterling pegged to the pound pegged to the dollar you have two options, I guess. One is the honor system. Honest, uh, ironically, is the honor system USDC, USDT, right? Yep. BUSD. I'm a big fan of. And then you had that algorithmic stable coin, which the words don't work. But at least, you know, I guess the argument was at least it's not the honor system. No. So the but- the lesson learned might be that you're taking the risk is more than you think it might be regardless of who tells you what correct but we should Um, know that by being gamblers in the stock market 
but but make sure you understand what you're investing in. If you don't understand it, it doesn't matter whether it's crypto or equities or bonds or property. You really perhaps shouldn't be investing. Um, uh, absolutely. And- don't. Don't ever. Just because my uncle told me that, you know, this hot new car is going to be the future. I'm not going to go, you know, I'm going to go test drive it first. Sure. Sure. But but this sort of volatility um, in, that we've seen in the crypto market is not just down to the crypto market per se. We've seen similar volatility in the foreign exchange market. Uh, and we point out the example of George Soros, who broke the Bank of England and made a billion um, back in 1992. Obviously, in the forefront of people's minds is what happened in 2008. And let's be honest, many of the banks here in the UK and Europe um, and indeed in America would not be there had it not been for the government bailing them out. You know, the biggest scalp that 2008 got was Shearson Lehman. Most of the other banks were bailed out um, and, you know, they've lived to sort of, you know, fight another story, so to speak. But um, so, yeah, definite lessons from this. I I love the idea that you could summarize with saying Black Wednesday just happened again. That. The lesson learned from Terra is that we could repeat history. Well, that's the that's the tragedy. We 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 don't we don't learn from history necessarily, or or more importantly, history can teach us of what's to come. And and just on that note, you know, look what's happening in the markets at the moment, and it has very very close parallels to what happened in the seventies. Uh, and we've had this denial. And James, we've been doing the show now for coming up for a year with you, and before that, um, we were doing it with our good friend. Um, Pierre, um, who unfortunately passed away this time last year, uh, Pierre bought from Blockchain Radio. And, you know, all our regular listeners, you can go back and listen to those shows. We've been talking about the worries of inflation now for the last 18 months, two years. And inflation, you know, people are now, you're now hearing, people say, yeah, inflation might get to 10%. Inflation is definitely getting to 10%. 10%. And, and interest rates are going to be 5% plus. 5% plus. Now, if we're right, can you afford to pay your interest bill? What happens to your company? Can they afford the debt bill? Can you afford to pay your mortgage? And if you can't, you need to think about that and readjust accordingly because the the inflation gene is out of the bottle. And and that's, that's not good news. That is really not good news for these companies and individuals that have got a huge amount of leverage. And they're hoping it'll go away and it's a one off and it'll all be resolved. But you know, hope is a is a is a dangerous thing to rely on. I just read something yesterday about um, is it home mortgage or the mortgages six percent officially United States? We're, we're approaching the eighties, you know, and and, uh, and and it's all relative, right? I guess even the coll- the collapse of like of, of Terra is the timing couldn't be better. Let me ask you this: with all of that controversy and drama, and I get all emotional, you got me all upset. Does that make me say to myself, I'm going to go back to PayPal where everything's okay, right? <laughs> Never had a problem with PayPal. I, well, feel like, I feel like PayPal's going to make out from this. I, well, it, PayPal's been a massive success story. Obviously, our friend Mr. Musk, who, um, who's very active in the digital market, um, he was involved with PayPal for a while. But PayPal, you know, you forget what a, what a, a giant in the financial services sector it is. You know, over 330 million users. Um, did something like 15 billion transactions um, in, in you know in the last year or so. Yeah, um, almost a trillion dollars in value, right? Huge, huge. And but as as the CEO Dan Shulman explaining, you know, there's a shift 
to digital forms of currencies is inevitable and bringing with it clear advantage in terms of financial inclusion and access, efficiency, speed, resilience and payment systems and the ability of governments to distribute funds to citizens quickly. So to put that into very simple, easy speak, I, 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 I sold a car this morning and they said, Mr. Fry, would you like your money in the next two hours? And I said, yeah, that sounds a good idea. And they said, well, that's going to cost you um, 50 pounds. And I said, oh, OK. Or we can get it to you in two days and it's going to cost you 30 pounds. And I said, OK. Or you can have it in four days and it's free. Now, why can't that company, and it's a company that um, buys secondhand cars here in the UK, uh, advertise a lot um, on the TV and the radio, why can't that company pay me digitally? Why can't it say, would you like to open your phone, Mr. Fry? And there you'll see we've credited your account with the money before I walk out the door. The just, answer just is... Just before you go any further, you didn't, you didn't really sell the Jaguar, right? Not the Jaguar, no. Okay. I, no, I, I, I got, rid, got rid of the car. But, but my point is, is that, I, it's, that, and to be fair, you know, if they're going to be transferring money the same day, that, that, that incurs... Um, backs payments, which is about £25. And we had this um, conversation, remember, a couple of weeks ago, and we were looking at um, the real estate market in the US, whereby we calculated based on the number of transactions last year. Um, if you if they use digital currencies, there'd be a saving $169 million just in the US in transaction charges. And then we take this to, a, to if you like, Latin America or Asia or Africa, when you want to send money back to your loved ones and your family, and some of the banks are charging up to 10%, or in some cases more, to, for the pleasure of transferring your money. And I think this is what PayPal are talking about. They're saying the ability for governments um, to distribute money to citizens more efficiently and faster and financial inclusion. Because PayPal now effectively allowing you to move money around digitally. Um, and we're seeing, if you like, the number of transactions, and this comes back to this is why peg coins stroke stable coins are so important, because as we see more people having engaged in the digital community. So after the break, we've got um, Peter Habernacker from Arrow Capital, and he's going to be talking about tokenized funds. So a mutual fund where it might be your 401k or your ISA or your pension fund, whatever it may well be, is invested in a mutual fund. These funds, instead of being traded once a day, you'll be able to trade any time during the day with a price not made by the asset manager, but by a market maker. So they're more like a quoted entity, but you'll be able to trade 24-7. I cannot believe once you've got a tokenized mutual fund, they're going to go remaining or go back to using the banks to pay the dividends out once every six months. They'll be making income payments once a week, certainly once a month. And those funds that don't do it monthly will find that they'll lose assets under management. So those funds are going to need digital forms of payment. They will be using people like PayPal to actually make those distributions potentially. And that, that's, that's why we sort of wrote about this. And, and, you know, this survey that they PayPal did with Deloitte, I thought was fascinating. Three quarters of merchants they surveyed planned they'd be accepting crypto or some sort of stablecoin digital payment within the next two years. So I very much think that PayPal, as we referred to in the article, could they be a Trojan horse? I They're just slowly behind the scenes and they're saying, we will accept digital forms of payment on our platform for our 300 million customers 
on a global basis. And they're laying down the infrastructure. And I think kind of laying down the gauntlet to the banks and saying, get with it or get out of our way. So very interesting. And if anybody's going to target the unbanked, remember you, you hear the term unbanked people, they're, they're using PayPal, right? So yep. PayPal becomes the bank for the their unbanked. Bank. Becomes their bank. Yeah. And, and why not? I think you went there. How easy would it be if, if the United States, again, I don't know what the words are uh, across the pond, but in the United States, if they said, hey, you rely on Social Security income and you're unbanked, here's your dollar pegged coin, the, the Pelosi coin, right? Did I go there? And then they drop it in your PayPal account. You've just solved the world's problems. Well, and James, especially if they say, um, and not everyone's going to like this, but why can't they say, okay, Johnny, we've given you 500 bucks this week, this month, this whatever the period is, um, and that's towards your utility bills or that's towards your rent or that's towards you know food or whatever it may well be. You could see a situation whereby they give money that can only be used or unlocked for what it's meant for. So Johnny can't go down the pub and you know buy a load of beers for all his mates and a whole lot of you know you know waste the money it's designed to actually pay my rent or designed to actually make sure that i pay my utility bills so and as some people won't like that you're giving money with um with restrictions but you know the current situation we have whereby effectively money's being given to people and the money gets misused and then the it, it something's got to change something something has to alter and that's something which I think digital currencies will enable governments to have um, perhaps a little bit more control as to how their money is being spent and hopefully spent a little bit more efficiently. And a lot of it is in reality is means tested, right? So you could also have a vesting period. I could pay you once a month, but unlocking weekly amounts. Yeah. So James, I'm I'm mindful of time and we've got Peter coming up after the break, but um, the, the other article, which we did touch on and we haven't got a huge amount of time to go into it, but I, I just did want to bring um, listeners' attention to it, and that was the the role of metaverse as an educational tool, um, because a lot of people misunderstand the metaverse. We're all well, we're all learning what it, its possibilities are. Um, we'll come back to this at another time. But talking to a um, a company that's developed their own metaverse, and in talking to them this week, they were very much positioned themselves as a as a realtor, as a seller of real estate. Um, and they're saying that's how they see their business plan going forward is to create virtual um, real estate and then sell it or rent it or lease it. But but we wrote about it being used as an educational tool. Um, and, it, and it's incredible when you look at the the global value of the educational sector. Oh, I, I, this is a huge number, 10 trillion, um, allegedly by 2030. And you can see how the metaverse can be used in a much more immersive experience. So rather than, you know, no, well, certainly in, in the UK, um, maybe you do still have, do you still have chalkboards in America? You've so probably got smart boards. We have smart. So my wife, well, 10 years ago, my wife was introduced to the smart board and she's, you know, lower level education in, in, in New York originally, you know, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds. And, but they gave her the smart board and she went, oh, this is kind of cool because it's like a chalkboard but it's LCD and that was the biggest rev. That was actually the biggest move as a tech guy, right? That I've seen. Yeah. You had overhead projectors, but my point is if you can actually immerse someone in 
to an experience and and you know obviously in, in education for, for children but you think um in, in you know maybe helping to train a surgeon or maybe um you know you you mentioned cars and you said you'd rather your car was actually looked after um by someone that had a longer experience well maybe maybe not because actually um okay i've got an old car as you know and there's no point some young buck working on an old classic car because they, they'd never worked on them but you've got a brand new electric bmw you don't want some old boy with a spanner and a greasy hands you want someone that's a whiz and that's been trained you know on electronics and actually three years that could be just ideal and if, if they've got a and they put on their sort of headgear and they get into the metaverse and they're taught and trained in a very immersive way. And, and, this, and we, you know, without saying, without going all through the article, we've quite lots of different examples of how, how that's actually happening. And we're seeing the metaverse being used very much as an educational tool in a variety of different environments, whether it be sort of at school level or, or indeed by companies uh, in the commercial field. You know, educationally, that would also improve social awareness. Right, children might be able to speak to children and the opposite end of the globe, uh, even with dynamic translation. Right, so you don't understand one language. Yeah. That's all happening in real time. That you know, a lot of people will tell you kids need to be outside with the you know, and I agree. Don't get me wrong, but if they're gonna be in, they're gonna be in this metaverse no matter what. So you might as well make it as beneficial as possible. But, the, but James, the only thing we have to be careful of is that um, you know. To, to go out and spend, you know, I don't know what they are, 500,000 bucks, pounds on, on a headset to get into the metaverse so, so you really get that immersive experience. That's going to be way out the pay grade of, of, of millions of children and families. So well, we don't want to have a situation of haves and have nots. So, so that, that is definitely a challenge which, you know, needs to be addressed. So we, we don't want people it's, – it's bad enough with laptops, in, in, certainly in, in English schools. You know, not everyone can afford to have the latest laptop and equipment Yet the homework is being set and say, well, just go onto the Internet. Well, I don't have Internet at home. I can't afford it. I can't even afford to pay the gas bill at the moment, given what's happened to gas prices. So, and that's where we start. I'd love to do an article about philanthropy, uh, especially with blockchain technology. Now, with that said, though, you know, down here in South Georgia, where I live, our school buses all have Wi-Fi built in. And yeah. uh, the kids are assigned a Chromebook. Now, granted, it comes out of my property taxes, right? Yeah. Uh, and and they, our local school also won like a major award from Samsung for robotics and, and software. You know, the computer geeks of the world, the future geeks. But it's feasible. It's I guess it proves in 10 years, could we give every what, uh, Oculus headset for every kid? Yeah, I think so. Why not? Well, maybe, maybe. But I say the, the object of the article is really just to sort of try and help open all our eyes to the possibilities rather than saying, you know, there are definitely challenges, but there's some also some huge opportunities. And whilst it's not necessarily the metaverse was, was listening to a very interesting article on the world service early this week. And they were talking about introducing um, almost forcing some of the medical staff in, in, in hospitals, certainly some of the surgeons and doctors who still work crazy hours and saying, right, after say six hours, you're going to have to go and put on, a virtual headset and that's going to take you to a beach or a ski resort or a jungle. And you've got to sit there for 10, 15 minutes and immerse yourself to completely relax you because they're doing studies and proving that will actually substantially help them do their jobs better and more efficiently and, and less error. So it's 
It's interesting to see how technology is being used um, and in some cases being forced on you because it's for the for almost a greater good. So wh- whether we see that the metaverse, the, the juror is out, but but please don't think of the metaverse just as something that you're going to play with um, like, like an extension of your Xbox. I think there's there's a lot more to it than just that. Ah, the future of the Manhattan nap pod. Sounds good to me. This was an emotional right, episode. You got me all riled up. And, and finally, we're almost there with a new look website. So we'll be hopefully making an announcement next week on that, um, where people can get copies of all these articles and back issues of all the different interviews that we've done with various guests. But more on that um, at the middle of the month, middle of the year, the middle near of the, the year, summer equinox, equinox, equinox. Yeah, Is the that... expression "dog with a bone" springs to mind. I'm sorry. Right. Right. <laughs> Now, in all reality, it's it's that day where is it like twelve? Is it twelve hours of daylight, or is it just the longest day? It's just the longest day of the northern hemisphere on the twenty first. The northern Next hemisphere. Tuesday. So if we all yeah. move, if we all, when do we vacation in Brazil for their longest day? Well, uh, that, that's that why Australia. Be, oh, I get it now. December. I get that's it now. Winter. Yeah, yeah. Winter in Australia is like July, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now it makes sense. I'm such an idiot. You're far from that. You're far from that. <laughs> okay, James, we better go because we got the green room light flashing away. Peter, um, haven't actually from Arrow Capital will be joining us talking about the tokenization of funds. Um, as ever, if you'd like a copy of Digital Bytes, please just contact uh, James Tiley at cyber.fm or myself, Johnny Fry, Team Blockchain. We're on the um, on the internet, on LinkedIn. Yeah, and though, thank you. We've had a couple of people um always writing in with suggestions and ideas always great to get your feedback so so keep that coming um we don't always agree with what you say but we always like to hear from you hi this is john Waite, and you're listening to cyber.fm hi i'm johnny fry i'm delighted to be joined by by peter peter hamacker ceo of arrow capital and peter you've been written an article trading tokenized funds um and i know this is a topic you've been looking at in terms of looking at mutual funds and the potential for them to effectively create like a digital wrapper um, to put around um, their funds. So uh, yeah, I, was in, I was interested, you were, you were talking about the size of the asset management um, market in terms of the funds in your article, what, 20, 24 trillion, is that right? Uh, yeah, or kind of would have fallen a bit uh, due to recent market turmoil, but um, in that region, it's um, essentially kind of how most everyday investors access financial markets. Right. So th- these are people that sort of the lady and the man on the street, they're putting regular savings, maybe in their pension or, you know, 401ks in the States, or, you know, we have ISAs here in the UK. So these, these are sort of pooled vehicles. We're talking about mutual funds. Um, and, and you were talking about the, 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 the potential digitization, the tokenization um, of, of these funds. Uh, yeah. Um, so we've seen a kind of a lot of innovation kind of in finance, um, especially since the 1980s. However, kind of seeing kind of, yeah, the creation of securitization and to some extent like a securitization bubble uh, in the lead up to 2008. Um, since then, we've seen kind of exchange traded funds, which are slightly different from mutual funds, becoming increasingly popular. And kind of this is essentially an evolution of kind of these innovations uh, to make things kind of faster, cheaper, better for end consumers. Okay, so with a mutual fund, these are um, collective investment schemes whereby the 
the asset manager. So it could be someone like Fidelity or Goldman's or, you know, it could be BNP or, you know, all the big asset managers. They manage the money and it could be a, let's say, European fund or US small cap fund or Asia Pacific fund. And then once a day, typically they make a price and you you can then buy and sell that fund at that price. Whereas an exchange traded fund, you can actually you have market makers and they're making making a price in that fund and you can trade during more normal market hours. Is that is that is that correct? Yeah. So the innovation of um, exchange traded funds yeah, allow people to kind of instead of get in and out once a day, get in and out within a day which um, obviously kind of more flexibility, more uh, uh, price transparency for investors. Okay. And, and, and what, what was, so, and then tokenization of a, of a fund is like one, the, the next step, because you have mutual fund, which is traded once a day, exchange yeah. traded funds, which are trade, let's be very generalistic, nine to five, you know, in yeah. theory, old office hours, but a tokenized fund could trade 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I suppose. I mean, that's what kind of crypto markets currently trade at. And um, once regulation in place, um, yeah, these mutual uh, tokenized mutual funds can be kind of traded um, the same way, seven days a week, um, easy access for people who kind of want to trade when they get home from work or kind of over the weekend when they have more time as opposed to um, kind of being office hours. Rather than having to phone up your stockbroker or your banker and say, well, can I book an appointment to come and see you? You can do it. What on your phone, you know, when you're watching the footy or something, I suppose. Yeah, um, kind of essentially bringing a kind of same level of kind of access and convenience as um, the logs of Robin Hood has uh, done for direct um, kind of uh, stock okay. trading. Okay. And, and in your article, you're talking about some of the potential efficiency gains. What, what, what Can you talk us through some of those things that you, you've identified? Okay, so finance over the past 20 years, um, the consumer-facing end um, has got essentially a lot more kind of digital, a lot more user-friendly with kind of banking apps and the lot of Robinhood. However, hidden behind that, the kind of the actual financial plumbing hasn't actually um, has been very slow to evolve, um, and a lot of the bits of finance that are hidden away in the kind of essentially in the dungeons and finance are still often quite paper-based. Yet Bank of America and then the service providers create like their own kind of good kind of systems internally, but then these kind of systems don't talk to each other. Um, it can be hard to connect up or it can be paper-based. And then all the service providers of these uh, funds, they each have to have their own the record of each trade. Um, and so we got five or six companies that are essentially tracking and monitoring and have to communicate with each other for each trade that a mutual fund makes, which is obviously very inefficient. Benefits of going to a blockchain is that instead of having all these different service providers having their own copy and their own databases, they all have one shared database, which um, doesn't need to be reconciled. And you don't, so, and they all talk to each other, each other through one fully integrated, fully digital native database. So there's no paper statements flying here about here and there which obviously adds cost and is not very environmentally friendly so, so that means that what settlements faster yeah so we'll kind of help reduce the kind of running costs of mutual funds which over kind of a 30-year time horizon which is kind of how long people kind of 
invest um, kind of to save up for pension 30, 40 years, it can make a meaningful difference um, in terms of how much you would save in terms of fees, which means, yeah, and consumers will be better off. And also the total cost it could save um, in the financial sector could be yeah, hundreds of billions a year. Wow. And, and you were talking about the potential use of smart contracts. What, what were your thoughts on, on that then? So, yeah, smart contracts is kind of really a key innovation of what tokenization enables. Obviously, kind of a smart contract is nothing new, but tokenization really allows financial instruments in a tokenized wrapper to really take advantage of um, essentially more automated processes. So, give an example, often with uh, when you sign up to a kind of fund platform, while it's easy enough for you to kind of buy on a screen to kind of click a, a fund on the back end, it can still be um, often quite a manual process. A purely tokenized fund, everything is digitally native. There's no paper, there's no kind of person that um, has to kind of check whenever there's some weird error because um, all the kind of checks and to ensure that the proper execute is already kind of programmed into the actual actual mutual fund itself. So there's no kind of, for example, needing to check if that this investor can legally invest in a particular mutual fund because they're a foreigner, something like that, it's all digitally and automatically. Okay, so basically a lot of the pre-authorization checks can be carried out automatically and built in in code. Um, So therefore it means that there's less mistakes and less compliance errors um, for people selling mutual funds, I suppose. Yeah, and also um, particularly kind of speed up things around kind of and know your customer and anti-money laundering requirements as well and the onboarding process for this okay because but what, what's interesting when what we hit what we're talking about just to make it absolutely clear we're not talking about crypto funds per se what we're talking about is an, an existing actively managed fund by perhaps the people you know you as a listener your pension fund is currently you know being managed by a fund manager and a digital wrapper is being put around it and and if you look at just in the well, if you look in the USA, for example, there's something in excess of 7,600 mutual funds, yet there's only about 4,300 actual equities that are quoted. So there's more funds than there are, if you like, quoted stocks. So there's a huge number of funds out there. And instead of only being able to then trade them once a day, as we see these funds being tokenized, digitized, then they'll be able to trade them in theory 24-7. I mean, there are some, yeah, like I said, the regulator will need to kind of um, be able to kind of create the regulation, the systems, or the systems need to be up to it. Um, but yeah, in theory, it will make things. So what, what are the challenges? You've talked about regulation. What, what are some of the other challenges then do you, you see for um, to stop this happening? Can, can all blockchains, for example, talk to each yeah. other? If your funds are on Ethereum, but my funds are on um, you know, Cardano, then is that is that going to present a problem? So a lot of work has been done on compatibility of different blockchains over the particular past two years. And there's a lot of technology that um, is essentially kind of stitching the, the world or the internet of blockchains together. So they will be able to interact, interact um, seamlessly with each other. This is still kind of quite a new evolving space. So not everything has been ironed out Um um, Are these, these bridges, Peter? People talk about bridges. Yeah. Is, that, is, is yeah. that what they mean? Essentially bridges, yeah. Okay. Uh, instead of going over a river, it's a bridge that joins one blockchain to another. And some yeah. of the bridges obviously work, some of them perhaps don't. So obviously from a regulatory point of view, they want to make sure that 
there's yeah. not going to be any errors or omissions and you know data yeah. getting lost or anything like that i suppose yeah and exactly the required information is passed from one blockchain to another so there will need to be minimum regulatory standards around that as well okay and and this obviously has a potential impact on or use case in the DeFi sector as well uh yeah DeFi or decentralized finance is essentially an entire new kind of world of mostly automated finance um, but the main aim is to essentially remove financial intermediaries who are no longer needed to provide that service which obviously provides or saves costs for consumers and having this on the blockchain would allow investors to essentially access all these this functionality that is available within DeFi. The benefit of DeFi is very composable. So you can use kind of this bit of software for this particular financial service, this bit of software for this financial service. And so you can essentially create a package of financial services which is specific to you as opposed to shoehorn you into their standard packages. Well so as an example then if I've got a, a bunch of mutual funds I could potentially use those on a DeFi platform as collateral to either leverage or borrow money against um, and invest in other things. Is that what you mean? Yeah, we're still kind of very early in the process, but yeah, there is kind of a huge amount more one could do with one's invested assets and be able to kind of move them in between different assets or different uh, products far more quickly than what one can currently do. Right. And ensure that your money is always working the hardest it can for you. Okay, and I understand this isn't just sort of hyperbole and chat. You, you, you talk in your article that Franklin Templeton, and they manage near, well, one point, nearly, nearly one and a half trillion of assets, um, and they've announced that they're going to launch a mutual fund that will trade on a blockchain, so it's effectively going to be a, a tokenized, a digitized fund. But I understand that there's another fund manager recently um, that's also been um, making announcements of what they're going to be doing. Yep, so uh, Bern Selstein, um this week announced that they're looking to kind of move in their existing products to um, kind of a tokenized platform and get yeah, the benefits that uh, we've kind of discussed in terms of efficiency, cost savings, um, and more flexibility for their investor base. Right, and, and presumably as a... Now, you, you obviously, Era Capital are a specialist fund of fund managers. So as we see more, um, more digitized funds, it's going to give you a a bigger universe and a bigger selection of funds to choose from? To some extent, we specifically focus on funds that try and capture the potential of this technology. Um, so this is mostly currently crypto hedge funds, um, kind of trading and making money off the asset class, but it does include public equities, which are exposed to this technology in this asset class, and we expect to be able to generate super profits um, from the adoption of this technology. So we wouldn't per se invest in a fund purely because it's tokenized. Right, right. My investing kind of early kind of movers in the asset management space who are really making the most of this technology. And then I just likely to get a head start and kind of really leg up versus their competitors. Got it, got it. Or, or you might invest in, I know Alliance Burnside have said that they're doing some stuff with it with a, a company called All Funds, for example. I, I've got, yeah. so may, maybe All Funds could be an interesting um, play um, or not, you know, I'm not giving a recommendation here, but but they're 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 if you like helping as part of the infrastructure in this particular case. So um, rather than the fund, you might look at those sort of infrastructure plays. Yeah, there's many different ways one can get yeah, profit from this opportunity as an investor. Brilliant, and, and I suppose as as you close your article off, which asset management firm is going to be the next to announce they're about to tokenize their funds? There's, there's certainly a lot of chat about it, so um, I think your article is 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 very timely and. 
um, I think people will look back in over the next three, six, nine months and, and say, well, we've, we've got a number of examples of asset managers tokenizing their funds. Because um, especially on the BC side, um, the first fund to be tokenized was back in 2017, um, Spice VC. Um, and there's been a number of kind of tokenized crypto hedge funds as well due to liquidity constraints, even have even larger kind of benefits from tokenization. But this is yeah, really the first of moving into everyday mutual funds. And yeah, we expect this just, just to be the start. And we're seeing already big banks, for example, HSBC, um, have been settling internal effects trades on the blockchain for numbers now and have partners with likes of Fargo Wells that do transactions, well, FX transactions between them two companies also on the blockchain. But we expect over the next 10 years, much of the financial sector to move to this technology and just realise the same benefits of uh, what we've been talking about. Brilliant. Brilliant. James, you've been quiet. Any, any thoughts, ideas come to mind? Or are you, are you busily looking at your 401k in sunny America and wondering, should you be moving to a tokenized fund? Yeah, I'm wondering what I'm doing wrong, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> How long you got? <laughs> How long do I have before I trade my dog in? The... Uh, <laughs> I was listening to you guys talk and, and trying to figure out how to like dumb this down, right? So we're saying that, for example, I'm in the U.S. and I might want to trade uh, the EWQ ETF, which is out of France, right? Yep. Now, and I, and, I, and I never have. I don't know. So you have the Franklin FTSE, which is out of Europe, and I'm in America, and they're tradable in America. Am I able to tokenize EWQ or, or my, my fund manager? I suppose, with tokenize EWQ. And can I move that to France? Am I limited to France's hours? Or am I? is it traded like it's in traded in North America? Am I still limited to my geography? Well, I think this comes down to the regulation, which is Peter was yeah. um, talking. The, the underlying fund manager will still the same. And in theory, there's no reason why that fund couldn't be traded 24-7. So it doesn't matter where you're based personally. Um, the regulatory side is, are you currently allowed to buy that fund in America? Um, if you are, then potentially there's no reason why, you know, in a tokenized version, it can't be traded. Would you agree with that, Peter? Yeah. I mean, there's a fair chance this will kind of happen in a number of stages. Firstly, it's just yeah, moving to the new kind of technology infrastructure stack, which will yeah, save costs. But then once people are on this new technology, then the slower moving regulators can update regulation as they become more comfortable with the technology and allow more kind of flexibility. So it's ha- like it's happening at a number of stages, all these benefits over a number of years. But it does make you wonder, though, James, and, and, and Peter, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on this. Um, there's a whole host of mutual funds managed in Europe and a whole host managed in America, and they're not allowed to sell into those relevant jurisdictions. But, you know, it, it becomes very difficult in a global digital environment to potentially stop people accessing a fund. So I think that's where we really need some cross-border cooperation between the regulators. And so look, at the end of the day, it is a mutual fund. You know, it's not a high-risk asset fund. You know, the average Joe Soap, whether he's or she is in Asia or America or Latin America or wherever, you know, it's it's a there's no reason why it couldn't be sold potentially in this jurisdiction. But but at the moment, there's very distinct regulations for collecting investment schemes in different jurisdictions, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, harmonising them will be kind of a lot of work. Big challenge. <laughs> yeah, it will take a lot of time, like typically kind of European kind of um, regulation around these um, kind of funds. Um, they are kind of world leading. And then US um, 
that genuinely kind of lacks so which wouldn't be European investors uncomfortable if they were to kind of slip back to the US standards. Yeah, yeah. So, so we have jurisdictions like Luxembourg and, and Ireland, yeah. which um, you've got funds, mutual funds there, um, USITs, um, yeah. you know, which are collective investment schemes. They can be sold in all sorts of different jurisdictions. Yeah. I, think, I think Europe actually, um, sorry, Ireland, yeah. from memory, if you have an yeah. Irish USIT, it can be sold in 90 different jurisdictions, um, yeah. which makes it sort of interesting. But, but, but Peter, thank, thank you very much. Re- really, really interesting. Good, good to talk. And we will wait and look with interest how we see other fund managers coming along and tokenizing their funds by the sound of things. Yeah, thank you for having me. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed.